You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. If anyone would come after me, the Lord says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, Nathan. Everybody can have a seat. Good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. I don't know what gotten into you this morning, but maybe it's the musicians, but it's just like we're, we got our worship going on this morning. Something's happening. Let's keep it going. This reading, is anyone, does it occur to anyone, this reading, um, like, is this realistic, what Jesus is asking of us? Did you hear what he said? If you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to deny yourself. There's a road of suffering ahead. Heads up. Are we, are we up for that? Have we fooled ourselves into thinking that Jesus, following Jesus, being his disciple is like some easy gig? Is this realistic? Is there some explaining that we need to do? Or does Jesus actually mean what he, he says here in his invitation? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Hopefully, and hear this invitation with fresh ears once again. We, if you're catching us, we're in the middle of a series in Matthew called uh, "Follow, uh, Follow Me," taking on the eyes of faith. And here's what we're trying to do in this storyline of Matthew: is we're we're trying to follow Jesus, hear his invitation in a fresh way, and take on the way uh, that he sees the world. Take on those eyes of faith. You know, sometimes when Jesus says some obscure things in the Gospels, like, "Look, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing." What are you seeing, Jesus? We want to see it too. We want to be able to follow right behind him. That's what we've been doing in this series in Matthew. Last week, we had this remarkable story of Peter and his confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And do you, know, you remember what happened? Jesus basically said, Peter, you're the rock of the church. I'm going to build my church on you. Well done. You're right. This confession is true. That was just last week. And in the narrative, it feels like it was like 10 seconds before what's about to happen, right? Poor Peter. This week... Jesus begins to show his disciples what he must go and do in Jerusalem and what it means to actually be this Messiah that Peter has confessed him to be. Let me tell you more. Peter, you've got the confession right. Let me show you a little bit more of what this involves. And what he explains to his disciples was not really palatable for them. It it did not like jive well with what they understood Jesus and his victory in the world to actually look like. So Peter, I think, is really wrestling when he's hearing Jesus explain what he must go and suffer. This Messiah, this David-like king who's supposed to come in power and victory, that he's going to go and suffer. I think for Peter, he must be really wrestling with, is this, is this the salvation that we've expected? This is like not part of the plan, I thought. I thought this was going to be some flashy overthrowing of Rome at very little cost to us and at very little cost to God. There's got to be another way, Jesus, right? He must have been thinking that to be a Messiah, to be this rescuer of God's people, there, there's got to be a, a way with not so much pain and suffering. I've got to get Jesus back on his message. I'm his new PR guy, Peter the Rock. He needs to get back on message here. He's like, he's going off the cuff. I wonder if Peter's wrestling in this way. How can this, think about this. Peter, this raised as a Jewish boy to always anticipate the son of David to come and, and set God's people free. How could the son of David die at the hands of the religious insiders and the government of all things? That 
doesn't sound at all like victory, does it? Can you imagine being there with the disciples, hearing Jesus say, well, he must go and suffer at the cross? That doesn't sound like success, does it? Jesus, he even includes like, and and on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. But that still doesn't quite satisfy Peter's understanding of what's going on. Jesus is still going to die, is what he's hearing Jesus say. And that cannot be. We want, we want Jesus' ministry to actually be successful, not, not painful, not suffering. There's got to be a better way to get Jesus back on message. Let's get this whole Messiah thing back on track. That's, there's got to be another way. There's a sweet spot, Jesus, that we need you to stay in. And hear this, because I think this is actually the way we read Jesus oftentimes. There's a sweet spot where, Jesus, you can be provocative, um, but, and, and it's inspirational even, and like really radical and like really shake things up. But you still have to have this, Jesus, please have this strong dose of reality. Like you got to know how the world actually works. Okay, you got to work with the arrangements that we've made in society. Be the inspirational, provocative speaker, but, but don't, don't endure suffering. And, and, and take a really healthy dose of how the world actually works, Jesus. Sometimes we feel like, and I think Peter may be wrestling with this, having to kind of bring Jesus in on uh, how society actually works, how we do things here. You can be inspirational, but don't be disruptive of the way we do things. Death cannot be a part of the Messiah's plan. And I think this is exactly why Jesus rebukes Peter so harshly. Did you hear what he said to the rock of the church? You hear what he called him? Yikes. And you know, it sounds very similar to the way Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves in the boat. Do you remember that? Be still. That same force is present here. Not 10 seconds after Peter is given this new role of being the rock of the church, first among the disciples, Peter betrays that very confession that he has made, maybe even unknowingly, I think unknowingly. He's almost, he's almost declared his allegiance to the kingdom in this profound way, and then 10 seconds later, defected and now is operating and, and colluding with the enemy. This is how stark I think Jesus is seeing what Peter is doing. Peter, the rock, the rock has joined the ranks of those who urge Jesus to accept the world the way it is and get back on message, get back to the plan of this like King David-like takeover where we don't have to suffer and Jesus certainly doesn't have to suffer. Scripture says Jesus turned to Peter which makes you wonder, was he following Jesus? And so Jesus had to turn and address him. He was already behind him. But anyways, he said, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Ugh. The rock. From rock to Satan. 10 seconds, right? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. be clear, Jesus isn't calling Peter like the devil. He's actually referring to him as a, as a Satan, as the adversary, someone who's getting in the way, impeding the goodwill and the plans of God. God's determined to do something. If you're in the way of it, you're his adversary. You better, better get out of the way. He's calling Peter out saying, look, you are, you're a stumbling block to the plans that the kingdom has. And it may seem harsh for us at first, but think about this. It, it is actually really merciful of Jesus to point out to Peter just really clearly, as clear as possible, you are not helping me out right now. You're actually getting in my way. 
Jesus is determined. He has this plan to actually bring about salvation. And Peter's saying, no, I have a better way, Jesus. And Jesus really clearly says, no, you don't. Get behind me. Because if you're not behind me, you're in my way. You're in a stumbling block to me. Peter may be the rock of the church, but Christ is still the head, right? And always is. What a sobering start for the church. This is, the church is born here. What, and this is our start. Peter, on you, I'll build my, my church. Get behind me, Satan. This is the, these are like the first experiences of the church. And it's a trend that the church has become really good at replicating, doing again and again and again, right? <laughs> I, my own life. I know, I, know, I know you well enough. We do this really well a little bit too often. We tend to do this. We may not even notice it. I'm sure it's not intentional. But we get ahead of Jesus. And to be fair, our imaginations, when we walk into this room, our imaginations are so furnished, they're so shaped by the way the world does things. We know what good leaders look like. We know what the goodwill of God must mean for Austin. And sometimes we know that better than God himself. Right? We have a way we do things here in Austin, Jesus. And if it doesn't involve like good barbecue and bluebell ice cream and live music, you know, like it's got to involve that stuff. We know better than you. That's a joke. But seriously, we have these ideas of we know better than Jesus and his plans. And especially plans, and this is what's so good about our plans, they don't involve suffering. Actually, our plans most often include like some serious plans to avoid, avoid all pain, all loss, all suffering at all costs, right? That's the way we do things. And they certainly, good leaders can not only navigate pain and suffering, but they can also like avoid bad press, right? Any haters out there? Like they can actually navigate that really well too. It's so foolish to think that being a good leader would mean laying down your life for people. No, it means victory without any loss, right? It means actually stepping on those who are in your way so that it doesn't cost you anything and you get everything you want by whatever's means necessary. These are the leaders, if you think about it, if you think about it, the leaders that our society praises and adores and lifts up are the leaders who take matters into their own hands, who get it done no matter what, right? Who defeat the opposition, who give us what we want, who defeat the opposition for what we want by whatever means we need to justify. It's all worth it. For, for that end, a good leader gets it done no matter what. If there's force... A good leader meets force with force. If there's manipulation, well, a good leader is going to out-manipulate that manipulation, right? Missiles for missiles. You got missiles, we got bigger missiles. That's good leadership. You insult me, I'm going to insult you more publicly and more hurtfully. That's good leadership in our world. We're going to beat them at their own game. That's become like a cliche for leadership, hasn't it? This is the way we do things. This is evil. This is not the way the Lord does things. And in a way, when Peter makes this confession of like, no, don't make it so, Jesus, there's got to be a better way. Not so. Peter's really speaking up for all of us who object to following Jesus, especially in ways that involve suffering. Right? He's, we can't just look at Peter and say, oh, Peter, you're so cute. You always say the dumb things, you know. He's speaking up for us. He's giving voice to what we already believe the way we operate. We want God's good way. 
We want his goodwill. We want his plans, but we want them on our terms, the way we do things, the way our world does things, without disrupting the status quo. Like, leave it, Jesus. It's good. You don't have to, like, throw it all over. And let's avoid cost as much as possible. Any cost to us, let's avoid it. We don't want to lose everything to follow Jesus. We want him to kind of leave everything as it is and then append him to our lives so often. But Jesus, he puts it really plain and simple. This isn't the way this works, disciples. Listen, you can't have both. And it's for your good that you actually don't have both. It's not just Jesus being stubborn. This is actually for your own good. You can't have it your way and God's way at the same time. Let this sink in, folks, because as much as it needs to sink in for me, I'm sure there's somebody here who needs to hear this too. You cannot have it your way and God's way every time. Sometimes you may agree with God, and that's convenient. But God's way should always trump disciples of Jesus, right? Anything, any plans that we've had, we always want it God's way. We can't have both. You can't preserve your life now and gain it in God's future also, for instance. And Jesus, this is really merciful. If you, it's, it's a strong rebuke, but how merciful is it for him to have with uncompromising focus this determination to actually save our lives despite us, despite our stubbornness, despite our plans, with unwavering focus. He has determined to do something far more wonderful for us than we could ever do for ourselves. He has a plan for us that would just blow our minds. And sometimes we don't understand it and, we, and we're in the middle of suffering, we're in the middle of pain and we actually have to entrust ourselves to his plan even though we don't see it or understand it. Jesus has better plans and he's not willing to compromise those better plans to better suit us in the, in the immediate moment. His plan is to actually, listen church, Jesus wants to save your life. <laughs> he wants to save our lives today, now. And he's not willing to compromise that, that plan of salvation for, the, for our moment of comfort. It's not worth it. The life that Jesus leads us to, this, this salvation that he is determined to give to us, is a resurrected life. A life that's overcome sin and death a life that has a living hope, like a real concrete hope, nothing fleeting, but an actual hope for us to live by. The forgiveness of sins. This is the life that Jesus leads us to. But listen, friends, there is no resurrected life. There's no forgiveness of sins. There is no living hope around the cross, despite the cross. It's only through the cross that we have all of this. There is no resurrection without crucifixion, we could say. You tracking with me? There's no forgiveness of sins without Christ's offering at the cross for us. There's no life around the cross, only through it. The life that Jesus is inviting us to isn't a life that some of us may know right now that is really captive to sin captive to anxiety, captive to like oppression and unhealth, captive to fear, captive to fear of loss, really nervous about losing everything. Jesus is actually freeing us from this life to a life that the Messiah has ensured for us that is actually freed of those things, overcome by his own life through pain and through suffering of his own. 
He's actually securing for us something way more profound than just avoiding pain and suffering. And this is the catch. He's done this. He's secured this for us through pain and suffering, through great loss, through abandonment, through scorn. What's so helpful about this and so difficult at the same time is Jesus places his cross smack in the middle of our road of discipleship to follow him. If you want to follow me, here's where I'm heading. Like I said last week, Bonhoeffer opens up his book of discipleship and says, if the cross bids a man come and die, this is where Jesus leads us. To self-denial, to our own death. Can we see that? Can we see where he leads through this death? You know, when we baptize people and we dunk them in, in water, we're signifying their death in the watery grave. You can't bring someone out of the water unless you put them in the water. You can't bring someone into the resurrected life unless, unless they've been joined with Christ's death and crucifixion, right? We are laid in the watery tomb and brought to new life in Christ. Can we see that? Do we know what that looks like as a community to follow Jesus through death? Maybe a better question, do we actually trust this invitation of Jesus? Do we believe him that on the other side of suffering and loss, for his sake, there's actually a better life? Is that true? Can we, can we put our trust in that? Are we willing to follow him at any cost necessary? Listen to this. In verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples, Listen very carefully, church. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, it sounds inspirational. You can put it on a bumper sticker, but if you actually like take this seriously, want to live this, that's really tough. That doesn't quite scratch the surface of what this is. Does this really work? Man, Christians believe some really strange things. Does this work? Is Jesus for real about this? And not only that, but let's say, let's just assume this is true. What does it look like when you have a people, a community like ours, who actually have become capable of following Jesus, even through loss, even through suffering? What does it look like? Can we see a community that is marked by the cross? In this way. What does that look like? Paul thinks it looks like this. Love from the center of who you are. He says in Romans 12. This is the message translation by Eugene Peterson. I love how he paraphrases this passage. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run, from, uh, run, for, run for life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be, be servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray, for, pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. How's that for a foreign policy? Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath, talking behind their backs. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. 
If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if we see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you, church. Get the best of evil by doing good. This is what it looks like when a community takes seriously that putting themselves aside to follow Jesus actually leads us into the good life. This is what the good life looks like. Can you imagine, friends, can you imagine a community that looks like this, is described by non-Christians, by people who aren't a part of this church. Can you imagine them talking about Resurrection South Austin in this way? Those are those people that do these things. Why do they do those things? Because we've taken Jesus' invitation to put ourselves aside to follow him seriously. We trust him. We're actually willing to risk everything to follow him. This is what it looks like. How beautiful. What a gift this would be to our neighborhood. This is the church. This is you. This is who we are. This is the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like to participate in his life, his way of doing things. This is what it looks like when people turn away from the evil ways, the status quo of our world and our neighborhood, the way we do things, when we turn away from those things and actually get behind our Messiah and follow him. I know it can seem so much easier. This is like, This is actually good news, people, because it's leading us into the good life. But I know it can be so much easier to follow Jesus when he confirms what we already believe about ourselves and the world and others. Like when he can get on our message and get on point with us, that's that's when it's in the sweet spot. When he can confirm to us what we already have arranged and what we already believe. So much easier that way. I know. I sympathize with you. But what we really want is Jesus, not our ways, right? We don't want the status quo. We want him. We want to follow him. And we actually trust that he's leading us into a way better life than the things that we've arranged, right? Amen? Somebody say amen to this. The kingdom of God is better than the status quo in this world. Have you seen our world lately? The kingdom of God is a much better world, is a much better life. And the Messiah leads us directly there. Are we willing to follow him at any cost? I think we are. This morning, church, let's decide again, as if maybe for the first time, to get behind the Messiah, where he leads us. Let's surrender ourselves to wherever he leads, however he leads, whatever's involved. Knowing that he is actually the Lord of all power, of all might, the Lord of the living, the resurrected one, who brings us into all goodness and all life, Let's turn away from the status quo and the evil way that we've done things and actually repent, reject that stuff and get behind Jesus as his disciples. And may we see his kingdom that he's bringing ahead of him. May we be compelled to follow with whatever cost that means for us. Knowing fully that he is the giver of all good things. He really is. That's what he wants for us. And he will graft into our hearts a pure love of his name. We will become those kinds of people. This isn't something far off. This isn't something just in like theology land. Sean preached about this. Must have read a good book recently. No, this, oh, I did read some good books recently, but that's not the point. 
Jesus is actually living, leading us into this life now, and I'm going to prove it to you. We come to the table this morning to feed on this good life, to have his life grafted into our hearts, to join him, our Messiah, in the pursuit of this good life where his kingdom is at hand today, not just in the future, but today. Let's come to the table and be nourished by his cross that's so squarely placed before us as we follow him, where he laid down his life that we might live this morning. Amen? Let's take a moment of silence to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us as we prepare to stand and come to the altar. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.